0: Looking forward to getting into this uh, great passage, a bit of a classic, Tower of Babel. But why don't we uh, pray as we come to a passage all about human pride. We better pray for God's help as we look at his word. Heavenly Father, by your spirit we pray that you speak to us now through your word. Show us who we are before you and shape us to be followers of Jesus. In his name we pray, amen. Well, uh, today's passage, it taps into something that is just so human, uh, humans are, you know, we've just had creation, we've had the flood, and then now they're at it again so soon after the flood there they are finding new ways to sin, uh, this time at the Tower of Babel. And um, these early chapters in Genesis, they've been pretty sobering. I don't know about you, I didn't realize it was uh, such a critique of humans and, and, uh, and the way that they kind of go astray from God But uh, week after week. It's been so clear. And uh, again, this week, we, we see something said about humanity and how they relate to God. Uh, one of the, the, the key questions of our passage is, how can you make a name for yourself? Uh, it's, it's so human. We, we want a name, but why? A LinkedIn writer, of course, if you're going to go to the place of uh, pride, go to LinkedIn. Um, <laughs> Uh, LinkedIn writer and career coach Diane Rolson says uh, in her article of this subject, uh, she tells us uh, how to make a name for ourselves. She says we need to, uh, you know, she's got a few key uh, headings, Uh, align yourself with the company values and mission and culture, and then she says you need to connect with others, Uh, you need to speak up, Uh, and of course you need to make yourself more recognisable, maybe colourful ties or something, I don't know what she has in mind there. Um, but I think the, the builders at the Tower of Babel had read this, her article on this, How to Make a Name for Yourself, because it really is very similar. Um, and there's nothing wrong with any of Diane's suggestions, um, but really the question is why people want to do these things. Why do people want to make a name for themselves? The motives really do matter. Um, why are we doing these things? Like, If you want to connect with people, surely the, a good reason to connect with people is because you want to care for them because you want to you try and help them. Uh, it shouldn't just be because you want to make a name for yourself. It, it can become a little bit uh, crude. And, you know, LinkedIn is, is kind of that place, uh, often, oftentimes anyway. It's interesting. Uh, Diane says, um, she says, when you're bought out by the big guy, how do you really prove that you should be there? And she's thinking about the workplace. How are you going to prove that you need to be there when, when the big guy's there? And she's saying, you need to make a name for yourself. Uh, and you can see here this kind of insecurity, this fear just beneath the surface. How are we going to justify ourselves? How are we going to ensure our place? Um, the Babel approach, the Tower of Babel, presents like this huge lion uh, full of pride and power, and yet there's also this other side to it. It's timid as a mouse, it's fearful of its place, it's very insecure. Well, uh, today, let's, uh, let's turn to our passage. We've got chapters, two chapters, chapters uh, 10 and then chapters 11. Uh, in, in chapter 10, we've just had the flood, uh, and then in chapter 10, the earth is then filled after the flood. We have what's called the Table of Nations. And then uh, chapter 11 comes after it, of course, and it's the Tower of Babel. Um, and then after that, Genesis will give us another genealogy of, of Noah's son, Seth, and then we're going to meet Abraham. So that's where we are in the book of Genesis. We're about to get to Abraham and all of the the patriarchs. Uh, but that's next week. Um, this week, chapters ten and eleven, they kind of they're commenting on each other in a, in, a, in an interesting way. It's not easy to know though which comes first. Uh, the, you know, the table of nations, everyone going out, or then the, the Tower of Babel, where there's this story where they they didn't want to go out, but then. By the end of it, they're forced to. And so there's, there's something interesting going on there which we'll we'll kind of pick up on as we're going through. Well, let's turn to chapter 10. Uh, firstly, I've called it... Uh, the, chapter 10, the earth filled is really what's happening. It's called the Table of Nations. Verse 1 of chapter 10 begins. Uh, it says, These are the family records of Noah's sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Uh, they also had sons after the flood. And so you can see what's... Uh, happening there in this big list, and I've kind of got a a bit of a map. People have tried to plot in chapter 10 all the different places and activities that are happening, and you can see there's the three brothers, and they're kind of the three colors. Ham is green. Uh, uh, Shem is the yellow, Uh, which, you know, it's been in the media this week, hasn't it? The the anti-Semitism, the Semite, the word is from Shem, uh, and they are the the Jews, the Israelites, and so that's where they were. And then uh, Japheth is, is the red at the top, kind of generally. Uh, That's kind of how they spread out. Uh, And uh, you can kind of see here that uh, it's describing in their head the whole world. Like the the nations have gone out and they've populated the world from this one family, Noah's family. Here they are, they've gone out uh, and and they they were God's people. Let's see what happens next. It's kind of what chapter 10 is is setting up for us. It's a snapshot of of God and his creation, kind of the whole world all over again. Uh, And Genesis... Which, of course, was the Israelites. It was their history. It's claiming to be the origin of every person. They all came from Noah and his sons. Noah, that one man that was faithful to God. Um, It's kind of it's a critique of all the other pagan nations, isn't it? It's saying, don't forget, they may be there, they may not believe in God, and yet they all came from Noah and his three sons. Well, that's chapter ten. Done. That was pretty easy, wasn't it? Uh, Let's move on to chapter eleven. And uh, we'll see then, uh, the earth then divided. Chapter 10 is this picture of kind of all from one family, and now we see chapter 11, it's all divided. Uh, chapter 11 in kind of, in, in a way kind of retells us a little bit more about what was happening in chapter 10, doesn't it? All was not quite as well and happy as perhaps it seemed. For the humans are not at peace with the God that had rescued them from the flood and had settled them. Uh, I've got a few basic headings to take us through the story, um, but there, there's kind of three essential scenes uh, in the story. The humans build and then God observes and then he kind of judges uh, them at the end. So firstly, I've called it a uh, human fame, human fame, and uh, which really is at the heart of the, the Babel story. Uh, so uh, verse 4 of uh, chapter 11, there you see it. The humans say, let us make a name for ourselves. Let us make a name for ourselves, And this desire, it's central to the story. Uh, the reason that they want the name and how they'll get it is going to be explained. Um, but we note that the, the human desire to have a name for yourself, it, it's, um, you know, it's something that everyone wants as individuals. But what's interesting about our passage is it's kind of talking about humanity as a whole. It's kind of talking, it's saying this is how humanity acts as a whole toward God. It's kind of that, at that very big scale um, you know, you might call it the systemic tendencies. It's, it's, it, this is the way that the humans operate and, and, and the way things happen. Um, so it's quite interesting on, on that uh, level. Uh, and uh, as I say, um, t- to tell us the story, it begins by going back to kind of what seems to be just after the flood, uh, where the whole earth was just one family and they're, they're just heading out. So have a look at verse 1 of chapter 11. It goes back to the beginning when they all spoke one language. Verse 1 says, at that time the whole earth had the same language of vocabulary. As uh, verse 2 continues, as people migrated from the east they found a valley in the land of China and settled there. And so I've kind of put a little circle around China, if you're curious where that fitted onto that map. Uh, and, you know, there they are in this valley, Shinar, it's where uh, Babylon is. And so the whole Tower of Babel story is a critique of the nation of Babylon by the Israelites. Um, you know, there's this one group of people and they've settled a large group in this valley and the valley is flat. Uh, we find out there were no stones and so it, immediately the way it's set up, this issue of this valley, this people in a valley, how are they going to defend themselves in this valley? Well, uh, verse 3, we have their solution. It says, they said to each other, come, let us make oven-fired bricks, and they used bricks for stone and asphalt for mortar, and then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the sky. Let us make a name for ourselves, otherwise we will be scattered over the face of the whole earth. Uh, And there ends scene one. That's the first snapshot that we get. We kind of get, uh, scene one is kind of in the human's heads, right? It's their deliberations and their actions. Uh, And you notice that repeated phrase, let us, let us. It's all about human decision and human action. It's so rich, there's lots of interesting things there. Let me pull out a couple. Um, Firstly, the what, like what do they do? Well, you notice it's a city and a tower. Um, And the other thing it said is they're using bricks, uh, not stone. you know why, why does it mention that bricks and, and not stone it could be could be saying well they 're not as lucky as us israelites we 've got stones they didn 't have any, and so you know they 've had to use this slimy mortar stuff the The word for asphalt 's a bit like the word for slime. it could be a bit of a dig at them, a bit of a joke. I notice none of us are laughing it 's clearly a bit of an insider joke, but it 's kind of there uh, <laughs> um, but and, Probably the other thing it's saying is something about human technology. Um, you know, stone is natural, it's put there, whereas these, these, these Babylonians, they've contrived, they've engineered this other way to make uh, a tower. And so it's kind of this human ingenuity pitted against God. Uh, you know, they're, they're trying to make God obsolete uh, using their technology. Um, you know, and technology is great. I'm sure you've been wowed by chat uh, GPT, It's hot technology at the moment, you know, we're hearing reports of its greatness. Well, back then, bricks, bricks were the hot technology, you know, uh, straight out of the oven. And uh, it really was the, the, the great, the height of technology was bricks. And so here they are, they're making bricks. But the real question is why, why are they building? Um, and there seems to be two things, two main things happening here. Firstly, they build, uh, it's a city and a, and a tower uh, for reasons of security, as we said, you know, the tower, it's kind of a fortress uh, to secure themselves against the human attackers coming into their valley. Um, and so verse 4 goes on to say, otherwise they're going to be scattered, like they'll be uh, taken over by these attackers and, and taken apart. And so they're feeling very exposed in their valley. Um, the city and the tower, it serves to make a name for themselves. Like Babylon was the great city, and so they want to become great, and with that becomes Power and security, uh, but the great city—it's uh, very much spoken about being erected against a god. It uh, becomes a theme throughout Scripture. That the city against God—you know, Babylon, Egypt, Assyria, uh, the West, perhaps—you uh, know, th- their desire is—you um, know, in geopolitics, it's called they want to become the, the hegemon of their region. They want to become the leader they want to become unbeatable in their region. You know, like America, it's, it's on top of the game for their whole hemisphere. And, and China, they, they're unbeatable. They can throw their weight around because they are, you know, they're the leaders in that area. And, and you can see the Babylonians, they want to do that, These, this group of people here. That is their desire. Um, and, you know, it, it, it's a human desire, and, and that's okay. You know, that's, there's nothing wrong with wanting to be well-placed. You know, we do it in our workplaces. You want to be the best-placed person for a particular job, uh, then we're not going to be overlooked for the promotion. We want to carve out a little patch for ourselves, a safe space, uh, somewhere we can be king. We want to have a castle, a home. You can kind of see it's, it's such a human tendency that's being described here. But, but the other thing it, it, it's, um, that's definitely happening here is this kind of religious dimension to this tower. Um, and To to see it, you need to apply a little bit of cultural understanding, and that is that the word for tower there, it kind of has a slightly religious uh, part to it. like It's a bit like a temple word. Um, And then you notice the reference of it being up to the sky. And so, again, these two things mean it has pretty strong religious connotations because the gods were meant to be up in the sky, up in the heavens, and the gods would look down on the humans. Um, And so this is a drawing of a, a ziggurat. It's a temple of that of that time, of that culture. And, uh, you know, the idea was that the top of it was closer to God. And so with every step that you climb up this big tower, you get a little bit closer to God. Uh, and the, the Babylonians, they had a great ziggurat. It's been uh, written about in the in the literature of that time. It's uh, now been demolished, and we don't really know where it, uh, exactly where it is. But they were famous for their great ziggurat temple. And so the Tower of Babel was quite likely kind of critiquing that um, this is a, a different ziggurat, some of the ruins we have now. We don't know that the Babel Tower was a ziggurat, but something like that, some kind of tower. And, and again, a little bit religious. Um, it was built up to the heavens because that's where the gods were. So Gordon Wenham, an Old Testament scholar, says, the tower was their attempt to trespass on God's realm. Uh, the idea was to effectively storm heaven, he says, which I like. And, and certainly the... Babylon is presented in Scripture as kind of erecting these cities, these structures against God, great symbols of human pride. Um, Calvin Calvin says, uh, the story of Babel teaches us that anyone who wants to make a great name for themselves, wants to become a towering figure, fights against heaven. So that's uh, another kind of key thing that's happening in this story. The question of how to uh, make a name, it's not often... Uh, so crudely answered as building a tall building. Although there has been a, a race to have the tallest building, you know, over the last uh, 100 years. So 1908, the Singer building was 187 metres. Uh, and currently, uh, the Birch Caliph is uh, 828 metres tall. Um, it's pretty big. Uh, Maybe, maybe we haven't really got past the Terra of we still trying to get up to heaven. It has been this real race. Uh, if you think these are aspirational, though, you haven't really looked at the, the proposed buildings. There's, you know, charts of all the proposed buildings. And this is the, uh, the highest ever proposed building uh, to be 10 kilometres high. You can see that the current tallest is beside it, the little red line. Um, pales to insignificance. Uh, it's to be taller than the Mount Everest... Uh, and they've called it the, the Tokyo Tower of Babel. Um, and it was it, it's really interesting looking at it. You have to forgive me, I'm an architect in my past <laughs> life. I'm nerding out a little bit here. But it's, the idea of it is to kind of stop the spreading of the city. Uh, so if I go to the next slide, you can kind of, I don't know, you can see if, if this makes sense, but the, the city spreads as it grows, and then the idea is they put this tower there, and then it kind of reverses the effects of the, of the city spreading and then the city starts coming in as the tower starts getting higher. And so it's, it's meant to house 30 million residents, 30 million, when it was, uh, it was proposed in 1992. And it was kind of... Tokyo was becoming pretty pretty populated and they're like, what are we going to do? And so this is their idea, this kind of mega structure designed to reverse the effects of this spread. Um, anyway, all right, I'll stop nerding out on architecture and uh, we'll move on. But returning to this question of motivation for the Babel Tower, um, it's, it's really this question of how to, um, how to have a legacy. How are we going to ensure that we have a future? Um, how are we going to mean something and not just be forgotten? How are we going to have a name for ourselves? Uh, and, and chapter 11 presents the human attempt to do that with this Babel Tower. And then chapter 12 in Genesis, the next, tower, uh, the next chapter, next week, presents another way, another way to have a name where we meet Abraham. And rather than uh, Abraham, rather than using human ingenuity, Abraham uses faith in God. So There's definitely a kind of direct contrast being made. So uh, let me read a couple of verses from Genesis 12, uh, 1 to 3. It says, The Lord said to Abram, Go out from your land, your relatives and your father's house to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I'll bless you. I'll make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse those who treat you with contempt. And all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. And so it's a great, uh, the great promise of the Old Testament in many ways is here. Uh, God is going to create a great city, a great name. Uh, and he's, he's inviting Abraham to become a part of it. He's saying he's going to do it through him. Uh, and the, you can see here through this uh, Genesis 1-3, to the repeated Refrain of God. I will. I will do this. I will. Uh, the Babel story. Remember, it was all let us, let us, let us. And so, there's a clear contrast. We need to. We need to let go and let God. As the as the cheesy expression goes, let go and let God. So, but you notice Abraham. He's called to leave his home. It's very much in contrast to the Babel account. He's called to leave the city. Uh, you know, he has a home. He's going to leave that for a tent going to be a real downgrade. He's, he's to move away from the city uh, and surely that would be the opposite of having security but in God, God is going to give him a legacy, give him a name, give him security. Um, you know, working hard for security, using ingenuity is not a bad thing but we need to do it in God's power for his kingdom. Uh, if, you know, if you return to the sermon the way we started about the LinkedIn article and, and this question um, you know, when you're bought out by the uh, the big guy, how do you really prove that you should be there? Um, you know, there's this question of how are we going to justify ourselves before the big guy? Well, the biggest guy, of course, is God, our Creator. How are we going to prove to Him? Well, we can't. We can't prove our worth. We can't, possibly. It isn't possible. And yet, God is offering us such a name. God is offering us a place. He offers all people great blessing, a name in His family, a place in His city. Salvation uh, in Jesus Christ. For God, He's justified all of those that call on the name of Jesus. Rather than making a name for ourselves, we call on the name of Jesus. So we need to align ourselves with uh, His mission, His values, His culture—that of the kingdom of God—and uh, so call on the name of Jesus. Uh, and if you if you are a follower of Jesus, and this is you, then I think this uh, Babel story is pause to consider our own motivations. Um, you know, making bricks and, and cutting up ziggurats is hard work in the heat. Uh, and many of us here, I know, are working really hard in our jobs. That's very much the Sydney work culture expectation. And working hard is good. Uh, but do search your motivations. Is it, is it to make a name for yourself? Um, you know, are we working hard to make a name for ourselves? Most of Sydney is. Most of Sydney is trying to get a good LinkedIn profile. Uh, most of Sydney is working hard for a name from this fear of, of not having security. But we've been given a name. We can call in the name of Jesus and so if we're working hard it has to be for a different reason. Well, let's continue with our story uh, back to uh, Babel. Now we get to scene 2. Uh, we, we kind of cut to God and his perspective. We, we've, had, we've been in, in, in the perspective of the people on earth in this valley and now we cut to God and God's up in heaven, and I'm calling it a God's finding, God's perspective. It begins with God's perspective, and God, uh, he's mocking the people. He's mocking their efforts. You know, they've done their best. they built their biggest tower to rival God. Uh, but God, it's, God's having trouble seeing it. He, you know, he gets out his magnifying glass. He can't even see it, and so he has to come down to look at it. So verse 5 says, Then the Lord came down to look over the city and the tower that the men were building. And so God is kind of like the, it's almost like the construction supervisor. He's watching this activity here. It's kind of a reminder that God watches all things, and and he does. He he judges them. He he looks at their impact. He comes down to inspect. We get God's uh, response in verse 6. God says, if they have begun to do this as one people, all having the same language, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. It, you know, it almost reads like God's getting worried. Like, oh, no, they're coming for me. Uh, you know, is he, is he goading them? Is he, is he playing along? Um, of course, God's not threatened, um, but he, he's saddened because his plan was for them to fill the earth. We've heard in Genesis, haven't we? That they're to spread. And so they're, it's kind of resisting the, the way things are meant to go. Uh, God's comment, uh, nothing will be impossible for them um, He's concerned about the the, the the bad that might happen, the sin, uh, the, the the sadness, the the oppression. Um, certainly, as we look at the you know huge human regimes of history, uh, we, we've been taught that actually they uh, they often result in great oppression. Uh, you know, even even non Christians. I had a I was I saw this book and I was having a bit of a read. It's quite interesting. A non Christian, um, Roger. Bergman, Utopia for Realists, So he's not a believer, he thinks we can kind of make utopia on earth uh, by human uh, power, Uh, he thinks he's a realist, it's quite an interesting read, Um, but as he looks at history and this idea of kind of these uh, regimes and human efforts in the past he says, our dreams have a way of turning into nightmares, utopias are a breeding ground for discord, violence and genocide. And so God here in stepping in in Babel, I think, I think as part of this going on, he's saying actually it's for their own good that they're not kind of this one people. Imagine the, the, the bad that could come from that. And so he, he limits it, he, he divides it. Another dimension I think is also human pride. Um, if the human pride w- would be left unchecked, they would forget God even more. They would think that they were more powerful than God. And this wouldn't be a good thing because God, of course, is to be worshipped. And so the great plan words in the Babel story is that the name Babylon was to be the gate of God. That's how they saw themselves, the gate of God. They had this great tower, this great temple that reached up to the gods Uh, But Genesis kind of does a a play on words here, and it it says Babel, which uh, means confusion or folly. And so there's a a little play on words, and it's saying this great pride of Babylon and Babel is actually just confusion. They're just, they're lost, that their pride uh, has caused them to become lost. And so God is looking to bring them back as he kind of checks their pride, as as he, he limits their pride. Uh, beneath us all is this question of how are people going to be saved? How, how are we going to fix the problems that we see in the world? Is it going to be by Babylon, by human engineering, or by God? Uh, of course, we're going to try and make the world a better place. But, uh, you know, we need to do it uh, in God's way, in the name of his kingdom. All right, our last, our last scene is uh, human fate. What happens? What um, happens? What will life be like for the humans now? Well, God, as I say, curbs their sin and he forces them to spread. So verse 7, God says, Come, let us go down there and confuse their language so that they will not understand one another's speech. And so God, uh, he breaks the effectiveness of their communication. He creates diversity in languages and thus nations and cultures. Verse 8 continues, So from there the Lord scattered them over the face of the whole earth, and they stopped building the city, and so the this symbol that was meant to be unity uh, is actually then the, the point of dispersion isn 't it? The tools are down, the project is abandoned and it's a it 's a strange week to be looking at this together isn 't it with uh, so much happening in the world you know we, we had the the voice uh, the vote uh, for The Voice, which was meant to be, you know, something that brought us together, that we could do good. And it's actually just caused great division, I think, across the nation. It's been sad to watch. Uh, you know, there's the terrible violence at Gaza, again, between two nations, um, Israel and the Palestinians. And then uh, this week, Russia was refused entry to the UN Human Rights Council. Uh, and so this great hope of, of global peace, the United Nations, uh, is now about one of the largest countries. It's kind of... Um, it's kind of, it's sad that this division of Babel is painfully evident. Um, human wars are not good. The Bible's really clear. We, God does not like war. Peace is, is what we want. Peace is what the Bible says is a blessing. But the question's been asked, you know, does, is this what God wants, this division, these wars between us? Is God saying that we should all stay in our nations? Was this God's plan? Well, let me uh, finally consider God's future God's plan, it isn't for humanity to stay divided, but to be united. God says through his prophets, uh, I'll come and I'll judge and then I'll gather and save. The final picture of humanity is that of a united humanity. So um, Zephaniah, I think I put the verse up on screen. Is there a slide for the verse? There we go. Uh, It says, For I will then restore pure speech to the people, so that all of them may call upon the name of Yahweh, and serve him with a single purpose, or serve him shoulder to shoulder. you can see it 's a, it's a picture of the reversing of Babel there that, that we 'll be working together um, calling upon the name that the speech will be restored uh, that, that is the vision of the end, humanity calling with one voice upon the name of Jesus and of course, then uh, we get a taste of this at Pentecost in acts two i 'm sure you uh, did you see this coming i 'm sure you did. Pentecost is the great reversal. So Acts 2 verse 4, it's on screen as well, it says, Then they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in different languages as the Spirit gave them the ability for speech. And so this is this moment where uh, the, the Spirit comes and the followers of Jesus are then given the ability to speak. All the different languages, that which God took away, he then gives them at Pentecost as a, a sign of the end. Uh, Peter continues down in Acts uh, verse. 21, 2 verse 21, a few verses down, he explains that this is what the prophet said would happen, and he says, why? It's so that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. A rather intelligent lady in her article on Babel put it like this. This is Danny's article in Case. It's very good. I do have a read. Um, She says, in the Babel account, uh, a monolingual people seek praise for their own works. At Pentecost, a multilingual audience hear God praise these wondrous works. And so, um, you know, if you're uh, not hyper-intelligent like me, then uh, you might have to double-read that. What, what, uh, what that is saying is that at Babel, everyone had one language, right? And then they were seeking their own praise. They wanted their own name. Um, but then at Pentecost, in the New Testament, when the Spirit comes, the vision of God's final way, you have many nations, many languages, but they're all praising God. It's they're all praising the one person. It's the kind of this wonderful symmetry, this wonderful reversal. All can come and call on the name of the Lord and be saved. Mankind does not build a, a city up to God to be saved. Rather, God comes down in Christ, doesn't he? And he offers them salvation to all. It's a, good, it's a pretty good place to end, I think, the story of Babel. God coming down to save us. So why don't we call on his name in prayer now together. Heavenly Father, how majestic are the works of your hands. Father, we dare not look to our own strength, but look to you, the great Lord of all, to be saved. Set us free from the need to make a name for ourselves, but may we be found in Jesus, and may his name and his labor be our peace, security, and hope until our final day in your city. In his name we pray. Amen.